Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest today is Kelly Olsen, and today we're going to talk about what if you time traveled back to ancient Rome and you somehow had to survive there. And I, I want to state before we start on this, that we have to lay some ground rules. Like you can't you bring an iPhone back to ancient Rome. You can't bring on a modern technology. And no, you can't give Scipio the recipe to nuclear bomb, even that, as much as he would love that. We can't even bring anything modern back to ancient Rome. So we are going to talk about how would you survive some if you came back. I think it doesn't say you time. I think we're going to set an era as well. Like I think the early imperial era, early reign of Augustus. I think it's a decent time, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. And it's a really interesting question because, um, you know, the easiest way to survive in ancient Rome would be to have money. Mm. But, you know, if you can't bring anything modern back with you. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's kind of a puzzler. So, you know, and I often say to people, if I could transport one modern invention back into ancient Rome, it would be the printing press because we would have so much more literature than we do um, with the printing press. But, uh, you know, the, the ancient Rome is, a, is really a kind of a foreign country, frankly. Um, there's a famous um, book that's called The Past is a Foreign Country. And I really do believe it's true. So if you were, if you were transported back into ancient Rome, I guess the thing to do would, to, would, to, to, to do would be to bring some Roman money back with you. But failing that, um, you need to have a strong stomach to live in ancient Rome, for sure. And, you know, the thing I tell my students is if you were suddenly transported back to ancient Rome, the thing that you would notice immediately would not be togas or the buildings. Um, It would be the smell. That's Mm. what would hit you first. Um, The Romans had a rather relaxed um, attitude to sewage disposal, as did most of Western culture right up until the 19th century. And the Romans don't have good methods of waste disposal. So they dump their raw sewage into the river Tiber, for instance. Um, There are sewers um, in Rome. Some of them are covered over. Some of them are not covered over. Um, The latrines in houses are basically just cesspits. They they don't have flushable toilets. They they do have some cesspits over which a little latrine has been constructed like a seat, basically. And some of those cesspits have drainage. They either drain out into the street or they drain directly into your garden. So the the smell really must have been absolutely terrific. And, you know, this is one reason why kitchens are situated so far away from dining rooms 
in the ancient Roman house because that's where the cesspit is located. And the cesspit is just a big hole dug out of the kitchen floor. And in it, you throw the contents of chamber pots. That's where the slaves, you know, urinate and defecate. That's where you throw food scraps, um, you know, animals that you have, um, you know, the carcasses of animals that you have de, de, you know, taken the meat off of. That's where it all goes. Um, and you don't want that horrible smell percolating down to your fancy dining room. So, so kitchens and latrines and cesspits are normally situated in the very back of the house so that, so that that won't happen. Um, so yeah, so if you're transported back to Rome, you have to have a very strong stomach because the, the smell, I think, even just walking around the streets of Rome would have been terrific. Um, people in apartment buildings would take full chamber pots and they were supposed to take them down to the cesspit in the courtyard of their apartment building, but, you know, many people were lazy and we have lots of authors that talk about full chamber pots, just being the contents of which are just tossed out the window. So if you're not careful when you're walking along a street, you can suddenly find yourself soaked with the contents of a chamber pot. Um, So yeah, so that, that's a problem. So you have to have a strong stomach. Um, You also have to not really care about what your clothes look like because laundry soap is non-existent. Um, uh, there, there are laundry facilities, uh, but they're expensive. Um, and the primary ingredient in keeping clothes clean is urine. So, um, it, it, uh, the fulleries, which is where you go to take your clothing do, do tend to smell quite a bit. Um, and there was a wonderful, um, PhD done somewhere in Europe a few years ago where the PhD student decided to recreate the, the, um, the sort of conditions of a Roman fullery. And so he he washed some woolen garments in the bathtub in his own urine and he said his findings reported that even with repeated rinsing they still stank like urine and so um so again not in, in addition to the smell in the air you know if you were of upper class status and could afford to have your clothes laundered regularly you probably smelled like urine which i just think is fascinating because in ancient rome that was a sign of status rather than today when it's the opposite. It's a sign that you can't clean yourself or that you don't have the ability to clean yourself. Um, so that's a bit odd too. So the smells, I think, would be the first thing that hit you um, when you came back to Rome. Um, in terms of making your way in the city, I think it would help if you could read. Uh, a, a large portion of the population we suspect was probably illiterate. Um, so, so that would stand you in good stead if you could read. Um, you know, uh, and of course you'd have to be able to read Latin because that's the language the, that the they, they did not speak in British in, 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 in ancient Rome, no matter as much as you like to. Right. Absolutely. Now, if you have ancient Greek, that, that will, um, stand you in good stead because it, especially the intelligentsia speak Greek or spoke Greek and freed slaves, many of whom were Greek extraction also spoke ancient Greek. But Latin is the best. So you need to have um, probably Latin, at least spoken Latin to be getting on with. Um, And of course, that's very difficult to come by nowadays because nobody teaches spoken Latin or very few places do because it is a dead language. And so as an academic, you learn how to read and write Latin, but you don't learn how to speak Latin. So, So that might be a little difficult. 
difficult for you if you're suddenly transported back into um into Rome. But, but let us take lunch aside, and you suddenly pop up in ancient Rome. What, what would be the first thing you have to do to how would how would people view if you this so newcomers? They were this, the way I the way I understood this is that they weren't necessarily friendly to newcomers. No, no, it's a pretty brutal society, and you know the the interesting thing about Rome and the thing that's really hard for a person to of modern times to get their head around um is that you if you're not a citizen of rome if you're not a roman citizen born of two citizen parents you don't have any rights you don't you you can be beaten you can be um you know executed you don't you don't have any rights as a non-roman citizen and your citizenship doesn't travel with you so if you as a roman citizen decide to go live somewhere that's not part of the Roman empire, um, your citizenship rights don't travel with you. So if you're an emigre to Rome from say Britain or Greece, um, you don't have rights when you go to live in a different country, you only have rights living in your own home country. So once you emigrate, you don't have any rights anymore. Um, so, so that, that can be a, that can be a real problem, um, because you simply don't have rights. You don't have human rights. You don't have rights mm. that go along with citizenship. Um, you know, and, and the Roman, the Roman empire doesn't provide, they don't have any social safety nets in the same way that most modern countries do. So if you suddenly popped up in ancient Rome, um, you couldn't go apply for your healthcare would have worked there. Yeah, right. You don't have any health care. You don't doctors cost money. Education costs money. Um, you don't have any um, workers rights. You don't have the right to employment benefits. Or if you're off sick, there's no sick leave. There's no workers rights. Um, there's, there's no, no four week vacation. Yeah, that's right. There's no vacations. There's nothing. So you know, if you're not working, unless you're being supported by friends or family, um, then you'll probably have to beg, like you'll find yourself starving because there's no social safety nets for people that are unable to work. Um, And even if you are a Roman citizen, uh, you know, once you retire, that's it. You know, there's no, um, there's no savings plans. There's no pension. There's no benefits. There's nothing like that. So this is one reason why it's so important to have children in the ancient world, because they're in part who are going to support you in your old age because the, the Roman state is not going to do it. So, um, yeah, so you, you would have a really, really hard time if you just popped up in ancient Rome, you'd have to have ancient Latin, you'd have to have a very strong stomach. You wouldn't necessarily have any social, um, safety net or workers rights either. Um, now you, you probably could find work, you know, there's, there's, um, there was often, there were often construction projects, going in Rome that you could attach yourself to. Um, uh, but if you wanted um, a sort of steady paid job, the easiest thing to do would be to apprentice yourself to somebody. But again, that takes money. So, um, and there's no government programs, which um, which will cover the cost of apprenticeship, right? There's no, mm. education is not free. So you can't, it's very difficult to get um, to, to, to become a skilled laborer, um, in the absence of, you know, family connections. They did value unskilled labor too, though. Yeah. Yeah. There is unskilled labor that, that you, that you can, that you can do. That's, that's for sure. So you would probably have to fall into that, um, to, to that sort of, um, that, that sort of job. 
Um, and then, of course, there's the problem of housing, because, again, there's no government sponsored apartments or, um, you know, um, rent controlled apartments. You're at the mercy of l- landlords um, who can charge whatever they think people will pay. Um, there are homeless people in Rome, so people sleep in the cemeteries, um, people sleep under the bridges, um, people sleep in the streets and in alleyways. Um, so the, Rome, the Romans do have homeless people and they do have beggars. Um, but, you know, shelter would, I guess, be a, a kind of um, priority. And if you, and they didn't have, wasn't easy if you house burn it down either. We all know the story about how crushes would come with this fireman and buy buy the houses at oh, uh, the yes. lowest yes. price possible. Yeah, that is that is just such a fantastic story. I mean, I feel bad for the people whose houses <laughs> burned down, but but yeah, and there's no insurance, right? So there's no insurance companies in the room. So if your house burns down or what have you, um, you are just screwed. <laughs> so, mm. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's quite an interesting. Um, it's because it, you know Ro- we we often consider Rome as being such a civilized place yeah. for, for the time. And yet they really are lacking lots and lots of modern amenities that that we, I think, take for granted, for sure. Hmm. So what are some downs if you come back to ancient Rome? What should, what's something that you shouldn't do if you go back to ancient Rome? Let's see. What things are what things shouldn't you do yeah. if you go to ancient Rome? Some downs, ah. downs of ancient Rome. Right. Some downs of ancient Rome. Well, um, don't piss off anyone who's more powerful than you are or richer um, because they can make your life quite miserable. Um, All Roman citizens in theory have access to the courts, but in practice, it comes down to who is able to pay for a lawyer. That's who has access to the courts. So in ancient Rome, there's no like legal aid for, for poor citizens. Um, And of course, if you just pop up in ancient Rome, you're not a citizen anyway, so you don't have access to the courts. Um, I mean, the Romans outlaw many things that we we ourselves have outlawed as a modern Western culture. So they um, outlaw rape and they outlawed um, homicide. So you can't um, do things like that. They they also outlawed um, things like robbing a temple. Um, and th- theft in the ancient world can be punished in a few different ways, depending on the nature of the theft and the person from whom you have stolen and how angry they are. But robbing a temple is always right up there with the worst crimes like arson and homicide. Yeah, but you probably um, shouldn't mention that you're a Christian either, especially not in the nearest No, time. no. Yeah, no, that's a bad idea. Although, frankly, you know, the Western culture, most people are taught that the Christians were sort of persecuted unrelentingly for the first 300 years of their existence. And that's actually not true. So the Romans really do ignore them unless there's some kind of crisis, which forces Christians into, you know, into the Roman view. So the great fire at Rome in 64 CE, when Nero blamed the Christians, the Romans decided to make an example of them. Um, any other times in which the Romans feel like the Pax Deorum is being um, is not being adhered to? The Pax Deorum is when everyone in a community has to offer um, obeisance to the gods; otherwise, the gods get pissed off. And of course, Christians don't do that because they only have one god, and it's not in the Greek pantheon or the Roman pantheon. Um, but the Romans 
didn't really start persecuting and hounding the Christians until the third century. Like up until then, Christians are really largely left alone, except for pockets of very intense persecution, like after the Great Fart Rome. So so honestly, if you came back um, to ancient Rome suddenly and you were a Christian, you know, I think all you would um, have to do is hope that there there was no national crisis afoot, which might bring... I pray to God you don't end up in the the Nero's reign. Right. Yes. Right. Don't come back during Nero's reign. Um, because the the, the crisis, military and political crises are what sort of push those dissident religious groups into the, into the Romans view, view, right? That's when it gets dangerous. So, yeah. How easy was it to travel from one town? You said that if you traveled from Britain to Rome, you necessarily wouldn't have the citizenship, and even right. though it's a Roman province. How easy was it to travel if you wanted to take, let's say, a holiday to from work? Right. Yeah, it's... Um, somehow got... Yeah, travel... Yeah, travel is difficult, dangerous, and expensive. So if you're like the uh, uh, if you're of like the rabble of Rome, um, it's you probably don't have vacations because it's very they're expensive. Um, Even upper class Romans, when they go uh, when they leave Rome, they tend to go to another house. So they get either go to their own house down on the the seashore, or they go to a friend's house. Um, They go to a villa. Um, hotels tend to be expensive and dangerous. People um, like to rob you um, or cost you over the head um, and steal from you. Uh, travel is dangerous and difficult too because there's brigands abroad. So if you travel over land, um, there are um, people who will waylay you and beat you up and rob you. They might even hold you for ransom. Um, so you have to travel with like a large slave entourage. And if you're not um, a rich person, it's hard to do that. If you travel by sea, it's expensive. And then there are pirates. So Pompey gets rid of a lot of pirates, you know, in the first century. But there are still little bands of pirates always that sort of prey on merchant vessels um, and ships that travel in the Mediterranean. So it's not at all easy to travel. It's difficult, dangerous, and expensive. And so probably the lower classes don't ever travel at all. And the upper classes always make sure to go to someone's house, either their own or a house of someone that they know, because inns are very dangerous places. Yeah. Something I want to mention, because I find it's a fasc- something I find fascinating. Again, you mentioned earlier that we take certain technology for granted. For example, shaving is something we take for granted. I kind of thinking, especially if you were to travel back in ancient Rome, because people didn't really shave themselves, did they? Because they, no, no, they, right. when they had to go to the barber, even if that was dangerous, right? It was easy to be Sweeney Todd, for the lack of a better word. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> right, exactly. If you, even if you went to the barber in ancient times. Yes, yes, there's no safety razors back then. Everyone just uses a blade, like a knife. And so, yeah, you have to be very, your, your barber has to be very skilled. If you're a wealthy person, you have a, you probably have a barber on staff. You have a slave barber. Um, who will shave you every morning? But e- yeah, it's not at all easy um, to 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 get shaved. Um, bar- barber shops are spoken of as places of great sociability, kind of like they are today, I suppose, in some parts of the world. People go there to gossip and you know have a sh- shave and um, a haircut yeah. and 
um, and talk with people. But yeah, they're they're they are dangerous. And in fact, there's a Roman law about um, culpability in in an accidental homicide. And the example they use is of a man who is being shaven out in the street because um, I don't know, it's cooler out in the street or maybe the shop is too crowded. And um, there are, there's a group of men on the corner playing with a ball and one of the men throws the ball and it jogs the, the barber who's shaving the man and his hand slips and the man's throat is cut and he dies. And so the jurists are interested in who is culpable. Is there anyone who's culpable for this death? Um, so I'm not saying that happened all the time. Um, it might just be an, inter- an example of legal theorizing, but um, it is kind of fascinating that that's one of the examples they choose mm. to talk about culpability in accidental homicide. What was the working hours like in ancient Rome? Was it wasn't a nine to five, was it? No, 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 not not at all. Uh, yeah, the the basically everybody sets their own shop hours. Um, shops tended to open very early, and um, there, I think there's mention occasionally of shopkeepers who close up during the hottest part of the day, um, which is what still happens in Italy sometimes, um, and then reopen again um, when it gets a little cooler later on in the afternoon. Um, But it's not a nine to five day and there's no weekends either. So shops are just open all the time. Um, the, The thing that sort of saves the ancient Roman worker is that there's a lot of religious holidays in ancient Rome. There's like about a hundred, there's well over a hundred a year in which it's actually illegal for your shop to be open because it's the day of, you know, the, the national festival for, you know, um, Aphrodite or, or um, sorry, Venus or Jupiter. Um, So there's an awful lot of religious holidays in which you have to close your shop. So it's not like you're working 365 days a year. Um, There, there are religious holidays, but there, but there's no um, real, period at which the working day ends and there's no weekend either so yeah it probably would have been exhausting so how 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 would like you how would it if you wanted to see the emperor how how would what easy would that be like if you want and actually if you were had just coincidentally walked down the street would you be able to recognize let's say augustus if you just were, happened to walk down even though we have statues of him there like we if you know a little bit, it may, may not even be accurate depicted. Would you be right. able to recognize or just as if, let's say, right. for some reason, he decided to walk down the street without his patrolling right. guards? Right. Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Um, we, we do have um, stories of emperors, you know, the, the bad emperors like Nero and Domitian who like to disguise themselves. And go out at night and like slum. But let's let's take away the, re- the disguising, but let's just say, would you be able to yeah. recognize the emperor if you saw him? Right. And how, how <sighs> and what big of a chance would yeah. it be that you actually could see the emperor if right. if you were, were in Rome? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that there would be, you'd have a very good chance. I mean, the emperor does leave the imperial quarters, but they're usually, they're in a litter which is the upper class way to travel in Rome um, with the curtains drawn. Sometimes they're open, I guess. And he, and you're right. They, the, the emperor would be surrounded by his entourage. 
um, you could probably see him at the games in the arena in the Coliseum. You would probably, you could see him there. Um, but that's a, it's a great, it's a really good question that you asked about how, to what extent are the, um, are the statues and coins really indicative of the emperor's appearance? Um, and I guess the short answer is we just don't know because all we have are, are statues and coins. So we don't actually know how, um, you know, how, how strong the likeness um, actually was. So yeah, that's a great question. If you are drawn new to, there are some people that tried to make the 3D models of the emperors, but the, but then mm-hmm. again, they are based on the statues and the coins. So they're based again, on statues. We, we done done like you said, we don't really know. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. Another thing I'd like to talk about because the social life, the rare bars, even though they kind of were thrown upon, if you went there, they were like mm-hmm. the social life of today, but. There were bars there, and how how what did the social life? If you wanted to have a drink, a wine, or a beer, how 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 did that go in? Oh, how was the social yeah, life was like quite, in ancient Rome? Right, yeah, it was quite easy to get um, alcohol. But, you know, the Romans don't. That's really all they drink. They just drink wine. Beer is considered to be barbaric. Um, water, it, you can't drink straight water because it's very polluted. It comes right out of the Tiber, mm-hmm. which is where they dump their sewage. So water is very polluted. Milk, they, the Romans do know about milk. They have goat milk. They don't have cow's milk. They have goat's milk. But milk is for like invalids and old people and babies and regular people don't drink milk. So the Romans just drink wine diluted with water, basically. That's how should they introduce that to chocolate milk, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Ah, oh, too bad. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, there's lots and lots and lots of taverns um in the roman towns that we've dug up so pompeii has like several little taverns every block um so i think it was quite it's quite easy to go and um uh get a drink in ancient rome and the those same taverns also sell a variety of hot foods and cold foods they sometimes have um uh rooms in the back for gambling which is technically illegal but um you know tavern owners allow it anyway because just like today it brings in customers and and everyone orders a lot of drinks when they when they play um their especially if they win yes especially if they win that's right yeah so no it's really it's very easy to get a drink um and you know upper class romans are not supposed to go there very often because that's seen as like slumming and they have to be aware of their station in the world. But um, uh, pl- plenty of Roman men do do that. They, they do go out quite regularly to taverns, they game and they dice and they hang out with lower class people and um, they're, they're, they're censured for it, but they do do it. It's not illegal. It just, you know, the, it will raise some eyebrows. Um, Roman women do not seem to have gone out to taverns. Um, in the same way that Roman, you know, upper class Roman women don't seem to have gone out to taverns in the same way that upper class Roman men did. So it's it was often, often a place to pick up girls or try to find love like we definitely do. not. Well, at least girls of a certain class. I mean, lower class Roman women, I think, do go to taverns, although the evidence is a little bit sketchy. But um, yeah, upper class girls and women of good family do not go to, to sort of low class taverns for sure. So how how would you drink find 
not to in quotation of quotation in quotation because love in that how would you find yourself a wife? Because as we discussed in the misconception about episode about misconception in the medieval era, and I, I believe it was very much true in ancient Rome as well. Marriage wasn't for love necessarily, it was for alliance. So if, how would you go on about finding yourself a wife? Yeah, the lower classes. Yeah, the lower classes seem to not have been so concerned with alliance. Um, although it might might have come into play, you know, if you're a man and you have a bakery, you might want your daughter to marry. Uh, I mean, I don't know your best friend who has a lot of money and wants to invest in the bakery. You, you just never know. So there must have been those kinds of concerns amongst the lower classes too. But um, to judge from epigraphical evidence that is the writing on tombstones for what it's worth, it's very problematic, but um, women of the lower classes seem to have gotten married later than their upper-class counterparts. So upper-class Roman girls get married around 12, 13, 14, like very young. Whereas lower-class Roman women tend to get married around 18 or 19 or even 20. And there doesn't seem to have been the same kind of arranged, not always anyways, there doesn't seem to have been an arranged marriage in play. Um, So, but again, it's hard to say because we don't know a lot about marriage in the lower classes. You know, the upper class writers are just- I mean, history is basically about the elites, right? I know, it's really kind of a shame, Yeah. Uh, But as far as we can tell, it's more possible, I think, to make a love match if you're of the lower classes um, than the upper classes. But you're quite right in that the Roman upper classes thought marrying for love or for sexual attraction was like really irresponsible because they figured those things fade. And what you really need is a marriage that's based on something more solid, I mean, the Romans don't, they, they, the Romans do believe that married people should love each other, but they think the love should grow up after you get married. So it shouldn't, that's not a reason to get married. It should grow up after you have been married and have had children together and have started to build a life together. That's when romantic devotion comes into a, a married couple. I mean, we do have the case of Germanicus. I forget his wife. I think he was, I, I forget his wife's name, but they did, did oh, genuinely. Agrippina. Agrippina, that's right. Yeah, they did yes. genuinely seem to love each other in this. Yes. Sense. Yes. And there are, there are lots and lots of Roman married couples who are spoken of as being very much in love. Um, Pompey the Great and Caesar's daughter Julia, for instance, were, were, even though that was an arranged marriage, and he was very, very much her senior, um, it apparently sort of morphed into a love match. Um, and then she tragically died in childbirth. So, uh, but yeah, there are lots of um, married couples in Rome who are spoken of as being very much in love, interestingly. Now, let's say you do obtain citizenship. What would, that, what would be the chance that you would be drained into the Roman army and serve for 25 years? Uh, yeah, that's, it depends on which emperor you're, you're, you, you sort of come into Rome under, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when I spoke about citizenship earlier, you're, you're quite would, right. Actually, that. I want to skip on it before this question. I mean, to come back to it later, because how, how would you go on about getting citizenship in ancient Rome? Oh, because right. it wasn't yeah, like okay. getting American citizenship, is it? was it? No, 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 exactly. So um, lots of different parts of the Roman Empire um, have citizenship um, granted to them 
right? Um, sometimes it's like in Britain or in Greece, for instance, it's only a portion of the, the citizenry of that of that country that is granted Roman citizenship. So it's often the elite, for instance, or it's a particular city in a particular country, which has rendered great service to the Romans. So of course, they no do have Marcus Aurelius who gave away citizenship to Yes, that's right. Yeah. And when emperors can confer citizenship on favored persons or favored cities, but there's no universal citizenship for everyone living in the Roman Empire until the early third century when the emperor Caracalla in 212 decides to make everybody in the Roman empire a citizen, which is like hugely shocking because it's never happened before. Um, So if you emigrate to Rome, you may well have Roman citizen rights. If you're from um, a city or a section of the Roman empire in which to which citizenship has been granted. So it's perfectly possible that you can come to Rome and be a Roman citizen. Um, but it does seem that most of the emigres to Rome were not Roman citizens. Um, and really, it's very difficult to acquire Roman citizenship. You, you have to um, have, you have to like... You, you can, people, you can right? wait eight years. It's not like you today where you can have to wait eight no. years and then yeah. get no. citizenship if you no. want. No, it really is. It's really not. There's no... Um, bureaucratic infrastructure there's no um, embassies there's there's nothing there's no one to which you can apply for citizenship Um, and so some people some men anyway um, decide to uh, okay so first of all I think for the vast majority of people in ancient Rome citizenship didn't really matter anyway right it doesn't you know it's not you don't you don't actually, um, there, there's no real um, tangible rights that accrue to you as a citizen. Okay, you can't be um, thrown to the lions if you're a citizen, I suppose. That those you can't be crucified if you're, you're a citizen. Yeah, that's right. So I guess that, that if, you're, if, you're, if you're a criminal, then you probably would want to be mm. a citizen. But if you're not a criminal, then probably citizenship rights don't matter that much, honestly. Um, you don't have anyone that's going to die and leave you a, a ton of money in a will. So you don't have to be a citizen, you know, to, to, in order to, because uh, that's never going to happen to you. Um, you probably don't have any interest in sitting on city council or becoming a senator. So you don't have to have citizenship. And, and in fact, uh, probably quite a few of ancient Rome's inhabitants lived perfectly happily without citizenship, um, without citizenship rights anyway. I mean, um, you do have a chance where you, if if you were a slave and you were free, you didn't get citizenship. You, you could, but it could get if you'd enlisted in the army and served for twenty five years, yeah, right? No, and that, your family could get. Oh, it's not. Yeah, Roman slaves do get citizenship when they are manumitted. Okay, and Rome is, in fact, I think, alone amongst the slave owning societies to do that because ancient Greece did not do that. The antebellum South okay. also did not do that, but the Romans actually do make their slaves citizens, which is kind of mind blowing, actually, cons- considering um, the the sort of entrenched nature of slavery and the the fact that slavery was a moral category in ancient Rome. The fact that they did make their slaves citizens with full voting rights if they were males um, after they were manumitted is ca- kind of astonishing, actually. Um, uh, but you're right. If you go into the army, if you're not a citizen and you want citizenship, I suppose the possibly the, e- the easiest, although not the fastest route, is to go into the army. And on your release from the army, you do you are granted citizenship. 
Isn't it? Is it the case if you die, your family do get citizenship as well? If you, is it? Was oh it something man! Like that? You know, I, I honestly don't know enough about military um, history to actually answer that question, so I can't answer it. I'm really sorry. Okay, so uh, what? How? How quickly would you be enlisted in? Uh, I just want to have one more, but how? The, how? How this? Uh, how easy would it be to be enlisted in the army if you were a citizen? How? Would, man. Yeah, I guess it depends again on what the Roman army is currently facing. So, you know, if um it's a civil war they love the civil war in the city. Yeah, yeah. So then it would probably be quite easy to sign up, or if Hannibal is at the gates, you know, mm. yes. Um, but for most of the Roman Empire, even though the war the empire is at war at some, you know, every year the empire is at war somewhere in the empire they're 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 securing a border or they're extending their territory um if it's not a crisis um th- then i oh my god i'm sorry i honestly don't know how easy it is to get into the army i know that they don't take slaves unless again it's a serious national crisis wasn't wasn't there a the case army- where there were some slaves and this and i think i read this in goldsworth book i think i'm not quite sure mm-hmm. but where they if you were a slave and you were taken into the army that you would you know you you wouldn't necessarily be punished but the one who brought you into this army the slaves he would be punished right. for bringing them in the Amish armies because we've discussed this last year in the episode about, about the Roman army. You basically sign mm-hmm. your right away when you sign into the to the Roman army. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, the Romans don't want to bring slaves into the army because they don't want to arm them and teach them how to fight, because that is mm. not a good idea if one third of your population is servile. The last thing you want to do is give them weapons and teach them how to fight because that will lead to insurrection so yeah so slaves in the roman army have a kind of fraught relationship something we haven't discussed we made an episode about this again last year last summer but what how easy would it be if you were to show up that if you didn't have any other alternative would could you sign into a gladiator school to to make a living Oh yeah, you could. Um, you could, and and interestingly, gladiators are um, one of the groups in Rome that don't have citizen rights. So they're called infames, which is where we get our own English word "infamous" from. Um, they they operate apparently quite happily with no citizen rights or reduced citizen rights. So actors, musicians, gladiators, dancers, performers—they're all—they're all infames. Um, so yeah, you could definitely, um, try to get signed on to a gladiator school for sure. And it's a, it's kind of a modern myth that every gladiatorial match ends in death. Hmm. Um, that that's actually a product of Hollywood and later on in a third century and following, um, death in a gladiatorial match actually is much more likely Hmm. for you as a gladiator than it is in the say first century BCE in the first century see where it's really only ever a possibility um because you know the the gladiators are there's a mixture in a gladiatorial school of men that are owned by the the lanista who is the manager or owner of the school and free men who have elected to fight as gladiators um but when you put on a gladiatorial show 
if you're a senator who, or an emperor who's putting on a gladiatorial show, you rent the gladiators from the gladiatorial school and um, any of the gladiators who wind up dead or maimed, um, you as the editor, the person who puts on the show, um, you have to reimburse the owner or the manager of the troupe for those dead men. And he then has to go out and um, acquire men and, re- and train them up again, right? Um, and, and to judge from epigraphical evidence, um, tombstones of gladiators in the first century, Mm-hmm. you know like it's under half of gladiatorial matches that that end in death so normally what happens is the men fight um there's no clear winner and then the referee and there's always a referee for gladiatorial matches um sends the gladiators away you know to fight another day so did that really like the thumbs up thumbs down kind of thing that that can that can happen um and that's when you know um in a match which is uh, which has gone on a long time and there is definitely a very clearly a defeated man that there the 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 referee can call to the crowd for their decision and the latin is polike verso which means with turned thumb And so lots of scholars think the sign to kill a gladiator is actually thumbs up, like send his yeah. soul up out of his body. And thumbs down means let his soul stay in his body. So it's exactly the opposite of what we, we would think. Um, so the crowd gives her decision, but then the editor, the person paying for the gladiator, has to give his approval because he's the one that needs to replace the gladiator in terms of money. So he will then give the thumbs up or thumbs down. And then the gladiator, yes, can be um, killed by the, by the other, by the other gladiator. So yeah, it's definitely a possibility. And that's what gives gladiators their kind of erotic cachet and their um, the fact that they have huge fan followings is because there is a possibility that you will die in the arena. Um, it's not a certainty. It's definitely not a certainty. So, so being, uh, so joining a gladiatorial school is not, um, it's not a death sentence for sure. So we discussed this again in an episode about gladiators last year, where we said if you wanted to see a gladiator game, you didn't have to pay for tickets. You just had to see Grotopatrium, where where he gave you. So how easy was it to find? Would it be to find if you wanted to see a gladiator game? Because you, if you travel back in ancient Rome, you have to see a gladiator game, of course. Oh so yes, obviously that's obviously something. You that's like the number one tourist thing you have to do if you don't go back to. Right, so how easy absolutely. would it be for to find someone who would? Uh, right. Who who um, gave away these it- tickets? Yeah, I think it would be fairly easy. And especially after the Colosseum was built, which holds about, um, oh my God, fifth, wow, 5,000 does the Colosseum hold? I can't remember. It holds a lot of people. Mm. And before the Colosseum, the gladiatorial matches take place in the Circus Maximus, which holds an awful lot of people or didn't antiquity, like 150,000. Um, so yeah, a huge chunk of the population would be going anyway, and it might not be difficult to find people to, to give away, to, to give you their, their, um, their tokens or their tickets to get in. Um, and gladiatorial matches are, they're not held every day. It's not like a movie theater today where you can say, Mm. oh, today I want to go see a movie. Um, they're they're held about fifty or sixty times a year, as far as we know. Um, so they they don't happen every day, but it shouldn't be too hard to see one. It shouldn't be too hard to get tickets to one. And 
of course, something I do kind of want to ask you, how, how easy would it be to rise in the ranks in ancient Rome if you came and got a job and you made it to the top? How easy would that be to, oh, to be, right. be a part uh, of the elite? Yeah, it's difficult because, you know, if you have money, that's one thing. I mean, that's great. Uh, but what you will be missing, even if you are rich, is birth. And that, that's something that me, the, the Romans of the elite put a lot of um, emphasis on. And, you know, they all, all, all of them to a man, the authors look down their noses at nouveau riche. So, you know, equestrians, that is the business class in Rome, or God forbid, freed slaves who amass fortunes and are living materially better than senators you know the romans hate that kind of status dissonance so they would love it if birth wealth and rank all went together but of course it didn't in ancient rome so you find freedmen amassing fortunes and businessmen um you know amassing fortunes and senators who you know tend to like lose money as the generations go on uh so you could you could rise up materially through the ranks but um, it would be difficult for you to claim super elite status if you don't have that birth behind you. If you don't have consuls in your background, if you're not born from Roman citizens, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of elite, educated, um, decorated Roman citizens from the from time immemorial. It's hard. It would be hard. Would it be is the fake citizenship of fake births such? Oh. Yeah, now that's interesting because um, the Romans were not a card-carrying society. So, you know, you can't prove that you're a Roman senator. You don't have a little card on you that says, this is my rank. Um, the, the Romans don't have ID in the, the same way that we do. So it is actually kind of fascinating. Um, and we do have um, indications in the Roman poets of people that in order to be thought um, you know, of a higher rank than they 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 were to ape the appearance of the elite. So, you know, the Roman senators um, have a wide purple stripe on their tunic and they wear a toga, which is, you know, an expensive proposition. Material is very expensive in ancient Roman, so, so is clothing. Mm. Um, uh, highborn senators wear red, red shoe boots um, less well-worn senators wear black shoe boots. Equestrians, the business class, have a narrow purple stripe on their tunic. Um, so there are sartorial signs by which you're supposed to um, be able to tell who's of what rank. And we do find people um, usurping these sorts of status symbols, um, you know, for a better seat in the amphitheater or um, to get credit extended to them in the market. Um, but but you're right in that there's no there's no you don't have there's no document that you carry around um, proving that you're a senator. So it, it may have been hard to tell sometimes even in the in the lower ranks of um, citizens. You know, Roman slavery is not racially grounded, not as it was in the antebellum South. So um, if you see a man walking towards you on the Roman street and they're wearing a tunic, which is what everyone wears in ancient Rome with no toga. Um, it's, you can't really tell if that person is a citizen or a slave, um, a newly freed freedman. It, it's impossible to tell because there's, there's no outward sign of status. In the I mean, that, again, if you pop up in ancient Rome, would it be easy for someone to capture you? As a, since you have no background, or 
background, the giant background checking of family, as we mentioned, would it be easy to capture you and send you in a lifetime of slavery? Yeah, I have to say it probably would be, um, which it's a very depressing thought, but uh, yeah, I think it actually probably would be because again, you have no human rights. There are no human rights in Rome. Uh, So yeah, I mean, we, there's stories of, you know, even um, sort of well-off citizens being captured and sold into slavery abroad if they're captured by pirates when they're sailing somewhere. Um, so even well-off citizens have that problem. And if you suddenly land in ancient Rome and you have I mean, no you money. Do, I mean, you do have status, the famous story of Julius Caesar being captured by pirates. Right. Yes, absolutely. Such a great story. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, the fact that he comes back and I think he crucifies them all, mm. doesn't he? Yeah. He kills them anyway. So yeah, that, that was, that must've been a very satisfying story to many Romans. So, yeah, so I think it w- actually would have been quite easy for you to be captured and sold into slavery. Yeah. As a man, it would probably be, it's, it's, it wouldn't be easy, but easier. But as a woman, if you pop up in ancient Rome, would it, would that, would, would it be diff- quite difficult to be new? No one know where you come from, no one know your family line. Would it be difficult for a yeah, woman I, to, to travel, yeah, travel back think, in ancient yeah. Rome? Yeah, I think probably because women, um, much, much more so than today, are defined by their male relatives. So, you know, we speak of so-and-so, the wife of so-and-so, or the daughter of so-and-so. Yeah, so I think it would be more difficult. I mean, every Roman citizen male has the right to vote and the right to serve in the army if they so desire, Um, and the right to hold political office if they can afford it and if they so desire. But women don't have any of those rights. So women have even fewer um, citizen rights than than Roman males do. So, yeah, I think it would be more difficult for you as a woman. Uh, I think probably they also had less freedom of movement. There are certain places where it's not illegal for women to go, but it's just sort of frowned on. Like you'll be you'll be stared at, maybe accosted or harassed. If you if you if you visit a tavern, for instance, I mean, possibly, or the then, forum, right? I mean, we talked about this in the Etruscan episode at the end last year, where we, but women actually were much more freer in the Etruscan society than mm. in the Roman society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't really know much about the Etruscans. I mean, I know about all the um, the different uh, pieces of clothing and the kinds of political institutions that they sort of bequeath to the Romans or that the mm. Romans take from them. But I don't really know much about Etruscan women. Um, the, 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 the significant point I think about Roman women is that they can own property mm. um, for the most part. It depends on which way they marry. Um, but in ancient Greece, w- women have just, they have just nothing. They can't own property. They can't like, it's just terrible. Um, mm. At least women in ancient Rome could own property. They could have their own money. So that's, I think, a significant difference. Mm. Of course, take, take the gender issue aside as an ancient historian, as a Roman expert. Would, would you travel back if you could to ancient Rome? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, it's it's also a really hard question. I mean, Rome has been ancient Rome has been my imaginary home for mm-hmm. a really long time now, like 30 years, more than 30 years. Um, and I, I love the literature and I love thinking about um, the kinds of things that went on in ancient Rome. 
um, uh, my area of expertise is Roman clothing and appearance. And I, I love, you know, sort of teasing out what I can from the, the varied sources about what people dressed like and the cosmetics they used and how they did their hair. Um, but honestly, I, I, much as I love history, and I really do love all eras of history, Rome just happens to be the kind of one that I fell into um, mm. as an undergraduate. Um, but I, I, I really appreciate, <laughs> appreciate modern society, mm, yeah. modern dentistry and modern medicine, the fact that we have traffic lights. Modern barbershops. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So I have to say, I wouldn't mind going back to ancient Rome to visit, maybe, for for a few days but there's no way I want to go back there to live because my god life really was nasty brutal and short back then mm-hmm. um it, it uh, I, you know I I know that they found ways to be happy but it, you know it was just a terrible society to live in for any length of time I think so I want to go back and visit but I don't think I want to live there thank you so much for coming on before you go do you have anything you want to promote or any social media where people might find you if you Want me to plug anything in the description? Yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, mean, I keep, you know, I just, I just had a, another book come out. Oh, uh, um, if you want that to called, plug it, yeah, Sorry. this is a, this is a co-edited volume um, with Alicia Batten, um, and the book is called "Dress in Mediterranean Antiquity: um, Greeks, Romans, Jews, and Christians." So it's a, it's actually a really interesting compilation of um, aspects of different clothing and appearance from the ancient Persians and ancient Egyptians all the way down to um, the ancient Jewish people and Christians. So it's a really fascinating book. So yeah, I would say that people should look for that. Where, where can um, they find it? It came out in 2021 from Bloomsbury Academic and it's on Amazon. So it's pretty easy to find. Hmm. Thank you so much for coming. This has been Thank you so much for having me. It was so wonderful to talk to you. No problem. This has been about that as well. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. If you do have the time, please consider writing a little review on Apple Podcasts. That would help us out a lot. Please like, share, and subscribe. And I'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.